Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to invite you to turn there. For those of you who are watching online, I forgot to say hello to you earlier. Welcome. Glad that you are here. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible and you're in the room, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you need a Bible that you can read and understand, feel free to take that one. Uh, if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up that app and find the live event. And there are scriptures and sermon notes and important things in there. All of that right there. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13. Uh, verse 13 is a key marker um, in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus turns. He is on final approach. He's going to land the plane here. He's got kind of four segments um, as he brings it to conclusion. And there, um, there are two things that are true as Jesus uh, brings the Sermon on the Mount to its conclusion. The first one is uh, at no point and in no way is he going to leave us with any sense of gray. It, there is a black and there is a white. There was a for and there is against. I mean, like the, there is no middle ground is what I'm trying to say. Oftentimes in our lives and in our situations and in the family dynamics that we have, in the relationships that we're a part of, uh, in the work situations, in any number of other places, there will be kind of uh, some black and some white with some complexity there in the middle. Anybody have that? Jesus says, at this point, there's no complexity. It's a simple choice. And that's the second part. Not only does Jesus not live a middle ground, but secondly, he's going to call for a choice. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. He has invited us to a kind of life. And at some point, we have to choose to live in that kind of life, to, to live with him in his power, under his authority in that kind of life. So as Jesus brings it in, as he starts concluding the Sermon on the Mount, um, th- those two things are true. And we'll see that over the next a few weeks together. Verse 13, chapter seven, verse 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. Just two gates. I want to highlight those two things um, this morning. First of all, let's, let's talk about the wide gate. So he says in 13, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide. The gate is wide. The way is easy. Leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. Um, there is a wide gate. And this, is, this gate, um, we would describe it as the easy way. It is the way that we drift. I don't know if you've uh, been uh, on some, some vessel. Uh, it doesn't really matter uh, what, what it may be. But you, you kind of think you're one place. And then because of the current and the wind, you look up. And all of a sudden, you're not at the place you thought you were. Your markers have changed. Everything is kind of off. This is what happens. There are cultural currents and social winds that help us to drift. But at no point, at no point do those cultural currents and social winds help us to drift into the life that Jesus wants for us. The, the easy way of drifting is the way of the world. Um, the, the, these, these things, it, Jesus invites us to a kind of life. And I'll just give you some examples. Um, if we were to flip backwards to Matthew chapter 5, we would see these examples. But the way he described when God's genuine goodness takes root in our lives and begins to express itself, the very first thing out of the gate. The very first thing out of the gate. Um, he says is, hey, there is a way to deal with anger. There's a way to deal with anger. Now, here's a question. Do any of the cultural currents or social winds that are blowing right now help you deal with your anger? 
Well, they may help you deal with your anger, but not in the ways that are helpful, right? They just don't. Um, uh, how about the, the second illustration is one where he looks at us and he says, hey, look, there, there is a, a way to deal with the lusts, the desires that are in your heart where you pursue things that, you, uh, that aren't necessarily good for you, that are not good for you, not even necessarily, just are not good for you, and you indulge those things. Hey, is there any cultural current, any social wind blowing that will push you and your vessel into a place where those kinds of things are positive for you? No, absolutely not. How about um, looking uh, at, uh, towards the end of chapter 5, uh, treating those uh, who would be um, enemies in ways that we bless them. We bless those who curse us. Pray for those who persecute us. Any cultural current, any social wind that's going to blow us to that kind of life? And what's the answer to that? No. I, if you don't believe me, just look on social media. That at no point... Do any of those things move you towards Jesus' expression to deal with anger, to deal with desires, to deal with uh, people who uh, you might consider an enemy? The world has a way of doing it, but none of it leads us to Jesus' kind of life. We do not. We do not drift into this kind of life. It is a life that we have to choose. Secondly, um, on that note, we, we can go as we drift... We not only drift with the culture, with kind of society, the pressures that are there, but we drift along with a lot of folks. There's a lot of people there, and I just say the popularity of this way is clear. Look at verse 13 again. The, the gate is why the way is easy, leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. Those who enter by it are many. Many people are there. There's a lot of voices there. There are news folks there, and there are social media personalities there, and there are influencers, which apparently is a thing there. I mean, there, there, are, there are people out there, and they are highly popular. There are those who, um, experts, there are lo- those who are loudmouths. I mean, they're just out there. And the popularity is very clear. And furthermore, because there are many people there, not only will you have kind of these uh, celebrities or whatever you want to call them, uh, these, but, but you also have, you can find, because there's so many people there, you can find somebody there who agrees with you. Has anybody ever tried that? You keep asking until you find somebody you agree. And go, oh, see, I knew I was right. 65 people told you you were wrong, but you found the one, well, the one person... Popularity is clear. And, and lastly, and um, th- there's no joy in this, but it's here. Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide. The way is easy. And what does it say? That leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. When we drift with the culture, when we get blown by the society's winds, listen, The end, Jesus is clear about this. The end is destruction. And you may think to yourself, no, 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 no. See, I've got this figured out. I I know the path that I need to go. Like, but what I'm telling you is based on the authority of Jesus here and and just broad general human experience, um, that's not going to end well for you. The Proverbs says it twice, once in chapter 14, once in chapter 16, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, what is it? It's death. Twice it says that. You would think that maybe we just need to hear this. And, and the mantra of today is, oh, no, 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 just trust your gut. Go with your heart. Don't do that. That's what it's saying. Because there's a way that seems right, but its end is death. It is, 
It is destruction. When the Bible talks about this kind of destruction, I'm, I'm pulling some of this from um, uh, an author named J.I. Packer. But when the Bible talks about um, this kind of destruction, it uses some really amazing metaphors. Now, the metaphors aren't going to come up on the screen. If you're using the Bible app, they're there. They'll be in the notes, too, uh, that you can uh, uh, download from the website. But um, he, he has several, the, when they talk about it, there are several different ways. So one is the worm does not die. Now, that's an interesting way to talk about I mean, Yes, yeah, yeah, so a couple of you are making faces like, uh... Did anybody use the phrase, the worm does not die this week? I just want to know. Anybody? Okay, just checking. The worm does not die. I, I think what he's after here um, is this kind of dissolution of personality. As um, we, in our own wisdom, lead ourselves to destruction, as we drift into this along with several... Like, we turn inward on ourselves. That, that's part of it. And so we, we kind of dissolve, if you will, our own um, personhood and personality. Secondly, and probably this is the most prominent one, if you know any um, destruction metaphors in the Bible, this is probably the one, the lake of fire. The lake of fire. That is that w- what the Bible is describing there is that when we meet this end, when it leads to destruction in our lives... We will be fully aware of God's judicious displeasure with us. Judicious because he's right and we're not. It's not like, oh, I didn't get a fair shake. No, 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 no. He is. Full awareness of that. Thirdly, um, it, it uses the metaphor of darkness. That, that is, in a sense, that w- there will be a loss um, of knowledge of God and all that is good. And, and we've seen this in our in our world, maybe even in um, some of the key relationships in our family where, where people get in their minds and they spin up any number of things. Um, they, they, they tell themselves any number of stories and buy into any number of lies. And what you would say about them is they're just living in darkness. This is that on an eternal scale. Fourthly, um, it, the Bible describes it as a place of weeping. When we meet destruction, there's weeping because we mourn the loss of personality. We mourn um, that we are, are experiencing God's displeasure. We mourn um, this loss of knowledge of God and what is good. And lastly, um, the, the Bible has this phrase, the gnashing of teeth. That, that is, there is a self-condemnation and self-loathing that is ours. This is how the Bible describes destruction. The Bible biggest thing that you need to walk away from, I mean, certainly that is a warning to be heard. But the biggest thing that you need to walk away from is this, that that the people who head this way, the people who walk this path, the people who end up here, yes, they get pushed by the culture. Yes, they um, uh, get uh, moved along by the winds of society and, and societal pressures. But here's the thing, they prefer themselves separate from God. And God gives them what they want. And that's the most damning thing of it all. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And many are those who find it. This is the wide gate in the easy way. There's another way, verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it 
are few. The, the gate is wide, uh, narrow, excuse me. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So the narrow gate. Now, normally when you and I, when we think about narrow, um, in, in our cultural moment, narrow is not a good thing, right? You can't be narrow-minded. So, so when people hear this, they go, oh, whoa, 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 I don't know if I'm down for that. But, but there is an important exclusivity here. Jesus himself defines it, and he says there is a narrow gate through which uh, people go and, and can lead to life. And some people say there's kind of two responses here. The first one is not so popular. The second one, much more. The, the first response is, hey, really, I'm okay without Jesus. And when people bring that up in conversation, maybe the most appropriate response is, for how long? But because like, it never ends well for folks like that. It never does. It leads to destruction, he says. But, but again, that's not as popular. Most people aren't that self-aware. Mo- most people go with this one. Surely, I mean, like all of the religions in the world and all the things that are true, uh, you know, all the p- people who have tried to make sense of God and the world and everything else, surely Jesus isn't the only way. That's the thing. That's the argument I hear the most. Surely Jesus um, isn't the only way. A C- couple things I would say about that. Um, when you say, surely Jesus isn't the only way, you are making the same exclusive claim that people who say Jesus is the only way is making. It's the same exclusivity. Well, I'm certain that Jesus is the only way. Well, I'm certain that he is not. And both of us are certain. It's the same, it's the same kind of argument. It's the same argument. We're both making exclusive claims. And so uh, I think the bigger thing is that most people say in in their minds, they want to live with the idea um, that there's the big mountain with God at the top, whatever God looks like, feels like, looks like, whatever. Uh, And so you've got these uh, roads that go up the mountain and, and you you know, that kind of thing. So all religions, you know, you're coming from this side, I'm coming from this side. All religions lead to the top of the mountain. That's what we're going to experience. But, well, let's just pause here and say that is a very popular story told in our world. But that's not the story of Christianity. The story of Jesus is, oh, God is at the top of the mountain. And he looked down on our little puny lives and went, boy, they're never going to make it. <laughs> so he came down from the top of the mountain to us, to rescue us, to bring us up to be with him. That's the story that Jesus is telling. That's the story that he's telling. And so when we say, and that's what makes Christianity different from all the other religions of the world. When we say there is an important exclusivity, we need to hear the words of Jesus himself. Um, c- a couple of ways that he says it negatively and then a positive way. John 15, um, verse, uh, excuse me, John 5, verse 23, and John 15, verse 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus is clear. You can't have one without the other. Secondly, in that 1523 passage, whoever hates me hates my Father also. You don't get God apart from Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, to say it positively, John 14, verse 6, when we, if you grew up around church, you may know, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Nobody. There is an important exclusivity here. Why? Because he alone has the authority to set the rules for how you relate to him. I am not bringing my resources to the table to work out some bargaining deal. I am bringing my brokenness, and he's bringing his glory. And those two things are going to collide and I'm going to be changed because of who he is, not because of who I am. Secondly, in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. The way is hard. There is difficulty in following. I think it's important to highlight because there is a version. It is faux Christianity. Let me say it. It is false. 
Um, the, the people who sell you this are absolute hucksters, right? Grifters going to grift, man. And so the, the people who sell you this, they're not telling you the truth. There is a version of Christianity out there that people say, if you just trust Jesus, everything will be much better. Not the case. The way is hard. Jesus is clear about this. We will experience um, trials. We will experience trouble. We will experience the, 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 the trial, the temptation of waiting. Of just enduring. Hey, I'm still here doing the same thing over and over. Nothing's changed. For some of us, that's the hardest part is the waiting. We, we will experience a kind of grief in this world. Why? Because the place is broken. It's messed up. And there are moments when all we can do is walk in that grief right along with it. There will be moments where we experience pain. The way is hard. And there will be moments when we experience pain. There will be moments um, when we have to deny ourselves for the sake of Jesus. I see this. I really want it. But it's not what God would want from me. Therefore, I deny myself. This is basic Christianity, Jesus says. If anyone wants to follow me, let him daily deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what he says. There will be moments when we, because we are followers of Jesus, and because he lets us know that the way is going to be hard, there will be moments when we've prepared ourselves where we get to do something kind to somebody who's done something evil to us. Where we get to forgive someone who has um, wrecked us. Where we get to bless someone who has cursed us. The way's hard. And to say otherwise is a lie. I, I think some people want Jesus to be their therapist. Hey, can you, just, can you just take my life and make me feel better about it? Jesus is not your therapist. He's not here to make you feel better about your life. He's here to transform your life. And there's going to be difficulty in following. I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to just say it out loud because so many stories have come out over the past, I would say, year or so. There are times when the cultural pressure gets so high that some people, um, they fold, they cave, they capitulate. Um, the, the kind of uh, modern expression of this and the, the verbiage that goes around it, they call them deconversion stories, not conversion stories. But deconversion stories. Oh, I was a Christian, but now da, 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 da. they kind of go on like that. And here, here's what I want um, to say about that for clarity and with no glee um, at all. But I, because of the popularity of this, I, I think it's important pastorally to say out loud in light of this text. First of all, Jesus is right. Whether I like it or not, he's right. And if I wake up tomorrow and still don't like it, he'll still be right. Secondly, I don't get to choose the parts of the Bible that I believe. I may not like parts of the Bible. I may not understand parts of the Bible. But I don't get to choose the parts of the Bible to believe and the other stuff I can just write off. I don't get to choose the parts that the Bible says about Jesus. I don't get to choose the parts of Jesus that I like to follow him, to worship him, to honor him, to serve him. It's a package deal. And lastly, without repentance, people like this are in serious spiritual peril. And if I were their pastor, this is what I would say. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. 
2 Peter 1, verse 9. Make your calling and election sure. Look at yourselves. Think about your faith. Because without repentance, that's, God is the one who makes Christians. And He doesn't unmake them. So 1 John chapter 2 says this. John, the apostle, was writing uh, in a similar situation where people had deconverted, if you will. And here's what he says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from among us because they were not of us. They looked like Christians. They acted like Christians, at least for a while, of us. And again, I I simply say that to say, let's be thoughtful and clear-headed about what Jesus is saying. There will be moments when the way is hard. And there will be moments when the pressure gets really, really bad. But the same Jesus who was Jesus and saved us and blessed us and encouraged us and was faithful to us yesterday is the same Jesus who is today. He doesn't change just because our situation does. And I've got great news. It's, this, it's great news. Look at verse 14 again. The gate is narrow and the way is hard, but what? That leads to life. There's life. On the other side of these trials, there's life. And listen to me, you may be walking in it right now. I've got good news. This, this trial, whatever it is that you're in, it's temporary. Now, you may feel like this darkness has gone on for way too long. It's temporary. You may feel like, hey, I'm on the roller coaster and I've crested the hill and I'm going 70 miles an hour straight to the bottom and it looks like the track ends. This is going to be my moment. There's no way I'm digging out of this. There's no pulling up. It's temporary. And Jesus says, when you walk with him, the path that you walk leads to life. Leads to life. We need to remember that. Lastly, gaze there in the ways hard that lead to life. And those who find it are few. There will be moments when, and if you've been a Christian very long, my guess is that you've experienced this. There will be moments when you are both lonely and faithful. I'm doing exactly what God wants. And it seems like I'm doing it all by myself. There will be times when you're lonely and faithful. Everybody does it is not a kingdom value. Rick Warren, the pastor out in California, he said it this way. A lie doesn't become true. See if we can get it up there so you can read it with me. Yeah, there it is. A lie doesn't become true. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become good just because, it's, just because it is accepted by the majority. Everybody does it is not a kingdom value. There will be moments when in your Christian life, you will find yourself by yourself walking. And you'll think, God, what is going on here? Uh, There was a time where um, there was some construction on I-45 up north of town. And by the way, when has there not been a time when there's been construction on I-45? Can the church say amen? amen? Yes, yes. I'm 47 years old. There's always been construction on I-45 as far as I know. There was a time where, uh, this was uh, maybe four or five years ago, uh, and it was up uh, kind of north of Willis, between Willis and New Waverly, if you're familiar. That's kind of my stomping grounds where I grew up. Um, And so we're driving as a family um, headed toward vacation, and the Google lady says, there's a, you know, four-hour slowdown ahead of you. We found a faster route. Here's the thing. Does anybody look at the Google lady and say, Google lady, yeah, I'll take the slower. I'll take the slower one. Yes, please don't save me the four hours. Does anybody do that? Because 
You're weird if so. And of course you're like, yes, I'll take it. I'll hit the thing. So you hit the thing. I'll accept this. And so it reroutes you. The way that it rerouted us was off of 45, left on uh, Shepherd Hill Road, if you know where that is. And then you go north on Old Danville Road. Now, Old Danville Road is about as wide as this aisle right here. And there's two guys with banjos. And you think to yourself, I'm either going to get through this and this is going to be amazing and save ourselves the four hours, or I'm going to end up uh, the plot of a horror movie. One of the two. I'm not sure. So we're trucking up Old Danville Road. I mean, and they're like, it's small. And you're going up and down over the hills and the trees are right on the thing. And you're like, this is, where am I? Where am I? And then gloriously, it ends and I-45 is right out there. And you think to yourself, yes, I made it. I did it. I have survived. I got through. And then you get out and you know it's a small town and weird section of Texas because there's two-way feeder roads. So you get out and you're like, ah, where, what the? Great. There will be moments when somebody smarter than you is going to look at you and say, you need to get off and you need to cross over and you need to go up Old Danville Road. And you'll obey and think to yourself and think to yourself, I'm being faithful. Why does this feel like a horror movie? Where is everybody else? Why am I the only one on this road? Am I going to make it through? And in that moment, right there, you will find yourself lonely and faithful, being led by God right there. Few are those who find it. Now, the the good news is, you will find some people along the way. You will. Every so often, you'll catch a glimpse. There's some other taillights or there's some headlights behind you. You, You'll find some people. And when you do, they become family. Friends who are family, yeah? You're like, oh, 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 you're going this way too? You're my people. Jesus had people. In Mark chapter 3, it also happened in uh, Matthew 12. But but in Mark chapter 3, this is the account that I'm most familiar with and the one I think about a lot. Jesus is there teaching and... Um, his, uh, he gets a message from the outside. Hey, your mom and your, your brothers are here. They, they, they want to see you. My family's here? Who, who's my family? These people. These people who do the will of God, these are my family. Church family, I say to you, when you find people like that, these are your family. Those who do God's will. Last word I just want to highlight here is the very first word of verse 13. Enter. Enter by the narrow gate. Why? Because the way has been opened by Jesus. Good news. You come to that narrow gate, you're not going to have to kick it open. You're not going to have to pick a lock. You're not going to have to worry about it. Why? Because it's been opened. Why? Jesus died and he rose and that gate is open for you. And for me, it doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter how bad, how bad your baggage is, how big the suitcase is that you're rolling in. It does not matter how much has been going on in your life, how dark the darkness has been, how lonely you are feeling in this moment. I'm telling you, Jesus has opened the gate.
The gate has been opened, and it has been opened by Jesus. And further, you need no other. You need no other. He is fully, completely sufficient for you. And you think, oh, I don't know about me, though. Like that guy down the road? Yeah, probably. Looks like he could navigate old Danville Road just fine. Me, though? Not so much. He's sufficient for you. You're the one who crested the hill and going straight down. And it looks like you're just, there's no way you're pulling out. There's no way you're going to make it. He is sufficient for you. You're the one who it looks like it's all darkness right now. He is sufficient for you. You're you're the one with a U-Haul trailer full of baggage and past stuff. He's sufficient for you. You're the one whose sin, you say, there's no way I can be forgiven of that. And I'm telling you, he's sufficient for you. Enter. There's a choice to be made. Enter by this narrow gate. And yes, the way will be hard, but you will find life. You'll find life. And so we're coming to a point where we are going to celebrate communion as a church family. And in doing so, listen, in doing so, here's what's going to happen. We're going to remind ourselves that Jesus has invited us into life. So if you need to fold your stuff up, put your stuff away, have a minute to kind of collect yourself, collect your thoughts, collect your stuff, whatever it may be. Prepare yourself both physically and spiritually as we get ready to celebrate communion. I'll lead us in a prayer in just a second. It's a good moment to remember what Jesus has done for us. It's a good moment to remember that he has invited us into life and it's a good moment to step in, to enter, enter into this life that he has. The the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he had his followers in a room he took bread and he broke it and he passed it around. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took a cup and he passed it around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you, for you. And as often as we do this, we remember and we proclaim his death until he comes back. So Father, in Jesus' name and for his glory here, I pray that in this moment, We would be people who remember.